What if in 2024, you got a little bit better every day? When you're learning a new language with Babbel, that's exactly what you're doing. And if Babbel can help you start speaking a new language in just three weeks, imagine what you could do in a full year. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's convenient courses are helping me learn real-life conversation skills in Spanish. It's getting so easy to learn how to order food, ask for directions, or speak to merchants. Studies from Yale, Michigan State University, and others continue to prove Babbel is better. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com SPP. That's right. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash SPP. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash SPP. Rules and restrictions may apply. The podcast where we talk to smart people, but not necessarily done by smart people. That is an awesome question. This one goes down probably on one of my top five. Hey, I like nutrition. I like to eat food. This is the coolest thing ever. We're going to do this forever. I wish I paid more attention in that class. You know, I'm going to be honest, I don't understand that. As a man, I just, I don't get it. Welcome to smartpeoplepodcast.com. Hello and welcome to Smart People Podcast. Conversations that satisfy your curious mind. Chris Stemp here. So excited to have you on as we welcome a good friend of mine, Scott Miller. If that name sounds familiar, yes, this is Scott's second appearance on Smart People Podcast. Why is that, you ask? Well, there's a couple of reasons. First, I really respect Scott. I've gotten to know him. I know what he's about. I know how smart he is, how much information he has. And I also know the way in which he shares it is something I can get behind. Scott has this brand. It's Mess to Success. So his first book was Management Mess to Leadership Success. His most recent book, which we're talking about on this show, is marketing mess to brand success. As you've probably gathered, what Scott does is he talks about some of the quote-unquote messes he's made over his incredible career and then the lessons he's learned from them. He shares them in a way that's authentic and real, which I think we always need to hear given the Instagram-filtered goggles that we tend to see through, especially when we're looking at listening to and reading about really successful people. So in this episode, we talk about marketing. We talk about branding. We talk about branding yourself. Mostly, I think what we talk about is making progress, becoming the you you want to be. That could be pushing through failure, getting off your butt and just doing something, whatever it is. And it's a perfect tie-in. If you like this kind of thing, be sure to sign up for our newsletter for our newest podcast coming out soon, go to smartpeoplepodcast.com slash new. And all it is, is we're going to let you know when it launches, you'll get the inside track, some giveaways, 
all that fun stuff. So it's smartpeoplepodcast.com slash new to sign up to be notified about our newest podcast, which is all about getting things done. Really, it's how do you do the things to build a life you're proud of? And I thought Scott really reflects that. So in case you don't remember, who is Scott? Well, capping a 25-year career where he served as chief marketing officer and executive vice president of business development for Franklin Covey, he currently serves as Covey's senior advisor on thought leadership, leading the strategy and development of the firm's Speakers Bureau, as well as the publication of podcasts, webcasts, and best-selling books. He hosts the Franklin Covey-sponsored On Leadership with Scott Miller podcast. He authors a leadership column for Inc.com. And as I mentioned, he's on his second book, which we'll be discussing today, which is Marketing Mess to Brand Success. Excited to bring you my friend, a mentor of mine, and a genuinely great dude. Here is Scott Miller. Enjoy. All right, Scott, welcome to the show. Chris, man, thank you for the invitation and for lending me your platform. Yeah, it's been a while since we've connected and uh, you've had a lot going on. So we're here to talk about your newest book, Marketing Mess to Brand Success. But there's a lot more that I want to talk about. The brand you've built, the books you've written, the the just explosion in your career in the past few years and, and one that I've kind of gotten to see from the periphery. Let's give our listeners... A peek behind the curtain. You were on Smart People Podcast years ago. Things have changed. Bring us all the way from Scott at Disney World to Scott as a thought leader in in two minutes. Uh, let's see. I born I was born in Orlando, Florida. My first corporate job was at the Disney Development Company, the real estate arm of the Walt Disney Company. Had a great four-year run there. They invited me to leave, which is how Disney exits you. <laughs> I wasn't the right fit long-term, so they fired me. So where does a Catholic boy from Orlando, Florida move? Well, of course, to Provo, Utah, where all the Catholics are. Oh, right. No, there was not a single Catholic in Provo, Utah. It was a nightmare. For those that don't know. nightmare. Uh, I joined the Franklin Covey Company, founded by, of course, Stephen R. Covey of the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People fame and Hiram Smith, the inventor of the Franklin Planner, 25-year run there. I've lived around the world for the company, London, Chicago, Salt Lake, Park City. I just concluded a 25-year career with the company where I started literally at the front line, selling, managing, eventually leading a sales force, eventually becoming the chief marketing officer for eight years, which is double the national tenure of a C-suite CMO for a public company. The average is about three and a half years. Did that for eight years, was the executive vice president of thought leadership for the firm for two years whereby I started writing books. I host what is now the world's largest weekly leadership podcast called On Leadership with Scott Miller. In fact, just this week, I interviewed um, Emmanuel Acho, the guy who wrote, of course, you know, Uncomfortable Conversation with the Black Guy. I had an yep. amazing interview with him. He literally came off Ellen's set and came onto our set. So, on, Ellen, Ellen, look out, man. Miller's on his way. <laughs> Hardly. You're taking over. Um, and then I stepped away. I literally quit my job. I and mean, doesn't everyone quit their 25-year-long, seven-figure executive job in the middle of a pandemic? But you know, I wanted to go build my brand. I wanted to go develop my own intellectual property. So I had a very cordial 
amicable departure with the CEO and the board where they put me on a three-year advising contract to the firm, which was a great runway for me, allowed me to write several books this year and launch a few new podcasts. I'm now the host of a, a new book club on bookclub.com. It actually is Franklin Covey's book club. And you're going to see that launch here in the coming weeks. Visit bookclub.com to learn more about that. It's a video-based um, interview with um, with authors and celebrities and such. And uh, life is good. A lot of risk. I'm taking lots of risk right now, calibrated risks. But I appreciate you uh, giving me the opportunity to come back on and shine your spotlight on me. Well, yeah, and I appreciate what you said. You know, one of the reasons I really wanted to have you on is, as those listening might know, you know, I've known you for a while. I kind of see you as a mentor. You've taught me a lot in just the right, six right. or seven years. Uh, we've we've gotten to know each other, and you are open about things. I think that's why you and I kind of hit it off, right? In a world of professionals and consultants and CEOs and all these things, we can't help but to be who we are. That You're not going to get a lot of filter. And that's why I wanted to have you on because I know you're at this stage you were talking about, right? You're leaving this chief marketing role where, as you said, making plenty of money. That's a transition that not a lot of people are going to get to feel going from an executive to their own business, but a lot of people feel very scary transitions. And I wanted to talk to you about that and get your honest take. So the first thing is you just mentioned you're taking a lot of calibrated risks. What keeps you up at night? now that you've left the comfort of a salaried position? Nothing. I sleep really well because I get up at four in the morning and start working both. So by eight o'clock at night, I'm like in a coma. So nothing keeps me up at night because I'm exhausted. That's the key. If you want good sleep, wake up early. At the end of the day, you're likely to just collapse into bed. Your real question is, right, what haunts me? Well, lots haunts, like you, right? I mean, I'm married. My wife is a full-time stay-at-home mom, um, family manager, and so we have one income or no income, <laughs> she might call, as she might call it. Uh, we have three boys, right, that are 6, 9, and 11. So a lot, a lot quote, keeps me up. But I, I, I have built a brand and a reputation over 30 years of, I think, delivering on my promises, being an abundant thinker, being a networker, a connector. I love to connect people with nothing in it for me. Like literally if you ask me, what brings me the most joy besides champagne, bread, and cheese? What brings me the most joy is connecting people when there's nothing in it for me. Because I have been the recipient of so many people introducing me, sponsoring me, advertising me, promoting me, lending me their reputation. I love to give that back to people. I like to connect people. Too much so when there's nothing in it for me. I gotta pay the bills at some point. But I take great joy in that. So for me, it's around what keeps me up is making sure that I'm not spreading myself too thin. One of the lessons I learned from my friend Brendan Bouchard, who wrote the book, you know, High Performance Habits, he talked about PQO, prolific quality output, is after the year he left, I think, Accenture, before he became big, he'd found himself a year into his transition with lots of things going on, but nothing really quality popping. And so he realized if he was going to be the world's biggest and best online trainer, he had to become a great keynote speaker. In order to become a keynote speaker, he had to write quality books. So he became immensely obsessed with writing quality books to build his brand as a speaker, to build his brand as what I think is the world's largest online individual thought leader in the world now, mm -hmm. Brendan Bouchard. Yeah. So my biggest challenge to answer your question is I'm writing three books. I'm hosting two podcasts. I'm hosting book club. I've got some you know TV things going on. 
I write a column for Inc. Magazine. I write a column for this. I write a blog for that. And is that all smart? You know, at the end of my year, will I have 15 things at 15 miles an hour versus one thing at 150 miles an hour? So I'm mindful of not spreading myself too thin and developing quality over quantity. Sorry, developing, yeah, quality over quantity. One of my, one of my challenges in the book is more is not better. Better is better. And I really struggle with that. I'm not great. It's a mess for me. Is it? That's one of your messes? Yeah, what, what about when you were, you know, working at Covey and you're an executive and people are looking up to you to provide direction? Do you feel like you did that well? Or do you feel like they were going, um, our leader who's supposed to be pointing us in one direction is pointing us in 30? Well, so I think it's a complicated question because I had 30 people working for me, so I could take on a lot more. Right. Uh, when I say working for me, you know, I had experts that were surrounding me that could execute on collective vision. I think one of the reasons why I stayed in the role twice the annual tenure of a CMO is because we built such great capability, such capacity around me. We could execute more than perhaps we should have. But no question to your point. My reputation is not less. My reputation is shock and awe. You know, if you work with Miller, you know, you're going to take on a tremendous amount of work, but you're going to have some amazing accomplishments. So, yeah, I'm sure to some extent my reputation was we take on too much. But if you look at my track record, the track record of those around us, we did some phenomenal things that had never been done in our industry. Sure. And so I have no regrets. Of course. One of the things that strikes me is you talked about all the things you're doing. And we'll get into balance because I know you have three – Three, correct? Children? Three. Well, really, really more than three because they have my personality. So they each count as like 1.35. That's exactly what I was going to say. I said, sometimes when I watch your social media, I feel like it's five or six, but we'll go with three. So I want to get into balance, but all the things you're doing, put aside your ability to focus and balance and all that. How do you trust yourself enough to have that much to say to put out into the world. And, and look, just to be candid, before we hit record, you and I are talking about the book I want to write. And you're like, Chris, where's your book? Here's what you need to do. And you've always said that, and I've appreciated it. And I go into my head, and I know a lot of people listening do the same. They go into their head, and they say, it's already been done. It's going to take me too long. Nobody cares what I have to say. How do you just go forget it? And next thing you know, you're writing three books, six articles, all this stuff. You know, I have a lot of confidence, and a lot of it's self-manufactured. I, I don't thrive on if people like me or not. I, I mean, there are there are websites that are dedicated to my hair, haters, you know, vitriol about how bad my podcasting skills are. People that you know are taking me down. I, I don't thrive on the social mirror. I don't care if you like me. I'll find someone who does. There's seven and a half billion people out there. There's 40 people I can find who will like me. So one is I tend to manufacture a little bit of self-confidence to get me through the, the waves of um, anxiety, right? And the waves of lack of confidence because they, they come frequently. That's the first thing. I think a healthy ego is a good thing because then you can have a reservoir to pull on it when times are tough daily. Second, you know, I'm 53, so I've lived a full career, 30 years, four at Disney, 26 now at the Franklin Covey Company. I've, you know, I've read thousands of books. I've interviewed hundreds of people. I've, I've got a few things to say. But if you watch what I write, I'm an aggregator. I tend to aggregate with credit. 
I'm not sure I've ever had an original idea in my entire mind, but I'm a pretty good assimilator, right? I see a, a marketing campaign and I convert it to this kind of thing. I read a book about this and I put my own twist on it. So I don't think you have to be an inventor or an originator to add value. So I take a lot of what I read and what I learn with permission and with credit. I repurpose it and talk about it in a different way, a different application. And I also love Seth Godin, one of my biggest um, fans. He, I don't know why he likes me, but I talk to him a lot. And I'll, I'll send Seth Godin a text and say, hey, Seth, my book made number one on Amazon. He'd say, great, stop checking, start writing. Meaning, wow. stop checking Amazon, start writing more. Seth has had a profound impact on me on produce it, ship it, write it, put it out there, let people criticize it and pull it apart, and then let someone fall in love with it. And then go find thousands like them. That's your posse. That's your peeps. Those are your peeps. So I think it takes a little bit of self-confidence, a little bit of inflated ego, and to find your posse, because they're out there, and they're waiting for you. They just don't, don't know it yet. You know, the thought would never cross my mind not to write a book about marketing, right. not to write a book about careers, not to write a book about communication. I mean, these are all books that I'm writing in the coming years. These have all been written about before, but my take on it hasn't been written. Right. So I would say to your listeners and your viewers, when I write books, I don't go look what books have been written. I don't even go to Barnes & Noble. I just start writing what I know is helpful, mistakes I made, things I learned. I don't do a competitive analysis of the marketplace. Yeah. Now, perhaps when you develop a product, you should do that, right? I, I'm not saying don't do your research, but um, have confidence in yourself. It, it makes sense on a, a number of levels. We always talk about this podcast. We probably would have never started it if we expected something going into it. Can I, can I expand on that? Yeah. And you have emboldened me. So like you, I've had a really successful run on my podcast for Franklin Covey called On Leadership with Scott Miller, right? I mean, it's getting close to 10,000 downloads a day now. It's just exploded. I had the CEO, the president of the Elizabeth Taylor AIDS Foundation, didn't even know it still existed, email me yesterday telling me it's her favorite podcast. Wow. H had I listened to all of the critiques I would have said, no reason for a new podcast. There's like 400,000, no new podcast, right? I got an idea for a new podcast called C-Suite Conversations with Scott Miller. And the new leader of marketing at the company is like, well, there's so many C-Suite Conversations and how is yours different? And I'm like, you know what? I'm different. There's no other Scott Miller out there. I don't need differentiation. You got me. Yeah. And if I had listened to him... We would spend nine months looking at all of the competitive and all the differentiation and all of – you know what? I'm launching the sucker, and I'm going to crush it because I have confidence in myself, unwarranted, <laughs> some unwarranted confidence. But I got some reps. Don't listen to the people who just challenge every idea. Go yeah. find yourself some champions, some cheerleaders. Don't ignore the, the challengers. Always have challengers in your life, but you'll never get anything done. At some point, you got to just, to quote Seth Godin, you got to ship it. And now a quick break for one of this week's sponsors. This week's episode is brought to you by Felix Gray, the blue light glasses that started it all. Five years ago, Felix Gray realized our eyes weren't meant to look at screens all day and designed glasses to make daily screen time more comfortable and the workday more productive. 
Felix Grey lenses filter 15 times more blue light that can make screen time tough on eyes and disruptive to sleep. Felix Grey offer classic frame styles made from acetate and hand-finished for a durable, lightweight, and really comfortable pair of glasses. Blue light lenses come standard starting at $95 or add your prescription at checkout starting at $145. If you can feel your screen time or if you're not sure if blue light glasses are right for you, start with the best in blue light. Try Felix Grey. With their 30-day money-back guarantee, there's nothing to lose but eye strain. Listen, you've been there, I've been there, staring at either my laptop for too long or my cell phone, when you start getting sore, tired, or itchy, watery eyes, or maybe you start getting a headache. If you've experienced any of that, you need to check out Felix Gray. Get yourself a pair of glasses made for the 21st century and designed for modern, hardworking eyes. You have nothing to lose except maybe eye strain. Go to felixgrayglasses.com smart for the best blue light glasses on the market. That's F-E-L-I-X-G-R-A-Y glasses.com smart. Free shipping, free returns, free exchanges. felixgrayglasses.com smart. And now back to the episode. I was just reading, actually, in your book, Marketing Mess, the beginning, you talk about before you wrote your first book, and you were talking about having going through this thought process, and you were like, I have to put it out there to see what the response is going to be. You're not going to know what the response is until it's out there. You know what, I, Chris, I think, people, I think people care too much about what other people think about you. You know, I'm not, I'm not so arrogant not to care what people think about me. But when I was interviewing Rachel Hollis a year ago, she said something that has never left me. She said, most people aren't scared of failure. They're scared of having other people see you fail. And I took that to heart. I'm not afraid of failure. And I'm also not afraid of you seeing me fail. Because as much as this may be a cliche, I don't even, like the word failure doesn't even register. Like that's a lesson. That's a lot. I mean, you know, bankruptcy, my family's in the street. That's a failure, right? But, but I, I, don't, I don't care if you see me fail because that's my entire series. Marketing mess, leadership mess, job mess. I'm very comfortable talking about all my mistakes because I know you can learn from them. And, in, and that is a success. Look, these oftentimes turn into a little bit of a therapy session. Let's go for it. One of the things that I think about, and I've heard from listeners, we just got an email the other guy, uh, other day with a guy dealing with something similar is, I'm not as concerned at my age now about other people judging me, but I am a very harsh judge of myself. And I think what that goes back to is what you were talking about confidence. And I want to tell you, I've never told you this, actually, I'd say a, t- a turning point when I was at Covey, it was pr- about a year in and I was doing okay. And one of the client partners observed me do a session and they said, that was pretty good. I think you're about halfway there. I said, really? He goes, Chris, you got to remember something. They're paying, what, eight, seven, nine, ten thousand $10,000, whatever, for a day of your time. Act like it and know that you're worth it. And he wasn't saying like me. I'm, it's, it was saying that your style, the reason you're here, the reason we're in the seat, the reason you're at this company, the content you have behind you is worth it. Go act like it. I was never the same after that, right? And, and that's a, it's not a, listen to how great I am. It's a, like you were saying, confidence in what you have built thus far and confidence that you will continue to build 
and grow going forward. People can tell when you're faking it. I don't fake anything. I, but but I, I'm pondering on this because I, I want to make sure I land this point well. There is manufactured confidence and there is earned confidence. And I'll bet the majority of your listeners, listeners have more earned confidence than they give themselves credit for. And it never crosses my mind to be embarrassed. It doesn't cross my mind to say, your book sucks. And I'd say, no, it doesn't. It may suck for you, but it doesn't suck for those 35,000 people. So I just, I, maybe I, you know, something else that I learned from Viola Davis that Brene Brown wrote about in her book. And that was when Viola Davis went to Hollywood to be an actress, everyone told her, Viola, you got to have thick skin to survive in Hollywood. I thought, oh my gosh, that's so true, right? Catholic, moving to Provo, a lot of evangelizing Mormons, I got to have thick skin. And I thought, that's so true, you got to have thick skin. And then Viola Davis said, the problem with thick skin is nothing gets in, but nothing gets out. So instead of having thick skin, have transparent skin, have translucent skin. Stuff comes in, stuff comes out. Keep what's good, leave what's bad. And I've taken that, that advice to heart is I don't have thick skin anymore. I have transparent skin. Stuff comes in, stuff comes out. I keep what's valuable, and it just flows in and flows out what's not. And that's not arrogance. That's self-awareness. And confidence, humble confidence. Humble confidence. Like you said, confidence that you've built it. It reminds me of when we interviewed Neil deGrasse Tyson, favorite answer to my question about imposter syndrome. So I asked Neil about imposter syndrome. And look, we've all heard it. And people say, yeah, everybody has it, even the president. And Neil just straight up goes like, no, I, I've been doing this since I was 11. Like, I don't really feel like an imposter. I'm, I'm not. <laughs> it was the, it just, let's get, bring it back to you. You were talking about, you know, wake up at eight. Uh, or sorry, wake up at four, four, work till eight. You've got life involved in the middle there. <laughs> but when you do that for 30 years, when you become an executive, when you work in the environments and with the people you have, that's earned. It's earned confidence. And we all have it to some extent. Everybody's got it to a certain extent. Yeah. And, you know, I talk about the co comparison conundrum in my next book, Master Mentors, coming out in September, is the best advice I ever got from my mother was, Stop comparing yourself to other people. You'll never win. It'll eat you alive. Compare yourself to where you were or where you want to be. And I wasn't mature enough when I was 22 to listen to her, or 23. But it's good haunting advice for me. Get out of the comparison conundrum. Compare yourself to where you were, where you are, and where you want to be. I love it. What I'm getting from that initial piece is things like confidence and, and taking risks and transitions. But then there's another side, which is, okay, Scott Miller can do all this because he has the experience behind him. He has the marketing arm of maybe a company or whoever it is behind him, people helping him. He's got money. I don't have that. And again, I know it's comparison, but I also think it's excuses. So you're a marketing expert. Your book we're going to talk about is on marketing and branding. Let's say I... Uh, I'm in a transition in life. I want to build something, you know, become an influencer, start an Etsy shop, uh, run a podcast, whatever. But I'm feeling like I don't know how to market. That's not my skill. And I don't have a company to do it. What does Scott Miller, marketing executive, tell us? I think you got to ask. You got to ask. Ask for help. Ask for advice. Ask for someone to lend you their platform. I mean, I, I'm a pretty bold person. I'll ask anybody for help. 
Like this morning, I have a new boss at Franklin Covey. I used to be his boss, and he's now my boss. And he, he controls whether or not I get to do a new podcast or I don't. I get to new launch this book or I don't launch that book. Right? They have great control of me. And so this morning, I asked him for two bold things. One, he said yes. One, he said no. And, and you know, the old me might have been like really tentative. Maybe not. I'm not. There's no part of it that's tentative, right? But, but in my earlier days, I might have cogitated on it and been a bit intimidated. And so now I just ask, people can't help you if they don't know you need help. What's the worst? I mean, everybody I've ever interviewed, Nellie Galan. I interviewed Nellie Galan in my next book, Master Mentors. Nellie Galan was one of Donald Trump's celebrity, celebrity apprentices. She was the first um, president, Latina president of a major television studio, Telemundo. And she writes, for every success you see, there are thousands of failures. There's no such thing as overnight success. There's overnight fame. There's no such thing as overnight success. Everybody you see out there, you only see the success. You don't see what Beyonce did for 15 years. You don't see what the Venus sisters, you don't see Roger Federer, right? Playing soccer when he was 12. And same with me. I have lots of failures. Uh, don't be afraid to ask for help. You, the question you asked was, what does someone do if they don't have, you know, Gold Star Network or 25 years in the C-suite or, you know, money in the bank? Well, you got to earn it. But there's nothing preventing you from emailing Seth Godin right now. Seth at SethGodin.com. Send him an email. Email Dan Pink. Dan at DanPink.com. I mean, all these big celebrities live just like you and I do. They just have better vacations. But otherwise, they live just like you and I. They've all got email. They're all checking their Facebook. They're all on Twitter. They're all looking at their email. Send them an email and say, hey, I got an idea. I don't know where to start. I really admire your work. What's the one piece of advice you would give me to get started on my book? And when they email you back, say, thank you, I'm going to do it. And then three weeks later, send them an email to say, I finished the first chapter of my book thanks to you. I've attached it. Would you take 10 minutes and read it and kick my ass? I'd love to have you kick my ass because I want to make it better. And before you know it, you've got Seth Godin, who you're one of 5,000 who emailed him, but you're one of 10 who took his advice and implemented it and did it and sent it back to him. Now he's got his eye on you. Same with me, right? People, I, I, I coach a dozen people a week on how to write a book. One out of 50 emails me back and says, I wrote it. Will you help me? Damn straight I will. Send me your book. Which publisher do you want me to introduce you to? Because you're one of 50 who then went and wrote the book, which means you got up at 4 a.m. and you wrote every day for 215 days for an hour, and you wrote a book. People who are successful got there because they were willing to do what others were not. Someone famous said that. It's absolutely true. The only difference between you and them is not intellect. It's not connections. It's not money is that they were willing to get up earlier or go to bed late or not go out to dinner or not go to a party and stay home and do their thing. That is what separates the successful from the unsuccessful. Work ethic. I believe it hands down. I'm so curious about this. I've never asked you this. What about the people who say they want the result but don't want to put in the effort? What advice would you give them? You're lazy. And? You're lazy. Well, there's, there's a famous phrase. I'm going to butcher it. And it said... Many an elevator operator had a grand idea. And it goes back to the days where you had those gentlemen or the ladies that were, you know, operating the elevator for you. The CEO would get on and they'd, they'd tell them, I have a great idea. 
many an elevator operator had a great idea. The difference is they didn't go execute on it. That, that isn't to mention that there's not, you know, white privilege. There's not, you know, connections. That, I, 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 all of that, of course, is true. People email me all day long. Scott at scottjeffreymiller.com. And I love helping them. And the difference is, are you willing to do the work that someone else won't do? All of these 150 celebrities that I've had on my podcast, none of them are smarter than me. Now, the fact of the matter is, probably a lot of them are smarter than me, but <laughs> most of them aren't. They just, they did it. They did it. They, they, they were fearless. They took the plunge. They put themselves out there. I have a friend who's a lot more talented than me, but she won't write her book because she's afraid of the vitriol. I'm like, Let, let's go through the 250 mean reviews of my book on Amazon, right? I don't even look at them anymore. People take me to task, lightweight, poser, phoned it in, stupidest book ever. You know what? Tell that to my wife who just deposited my royalty check yesterday. And now a quick word from one of this week's sponsors. This week's episode is brought to you by Fundrise. In 2021, a truly diversified portfolio needs more than the traditional mix of stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. It needs private real estate. Studies have shown that portfolios with an allocation to private real estate generally delivered a better risk-adjusted return with more annual income and lower volatility over the past two decades thanks to its track record of consistent performance through multiple market cycles. With Fundrise, this level of powerful diversification is now available to you. Fundrise provides access to diversified portfolios of private real estate to all investors with their industry-leading, easy-to-use platform. Whether you're looking to add stable cash flow via dividends or prefer long-term growth through appreciation, Fundrise makes investing in private real estate as easy as investing in stocks, bonds, or mutual funds. Fundrise's team of real estate professionals carefully vets and actively manages all of their real estate projects. And with their easy-to-use website, you can track your portfolio's performance and watch as properties across the country are acquired, improved, and operated via dynamic asset updates. See for yourself how 150,000 investors have built a better portfolio with private real estate. It takes just a few minutes to get started. Go to fundrise.com slash smart today. That's F-U-N-D-R-I-S-E dot com slash smart. One last time, that's fundrise.com slash smart. And now back to the episode. You're obviously a passionate, you've accomplished a lot. What motivates you to do it though? Because it's a choice. You've chosen from early on to always drive harder in the professional world. Why? Well, early on it was I liked money. Early on is I wanted a nice car. I wanted to buy dinner out. I wanted to go to Italy. So early on it was what, what, what resources could do for me. And by the way, it might have been, you know, something philanthropic, right? I don't, I don't I'll spend all my money on champagne. Um, now I like to prove that I can do it to myself, I like to prove to others that they can do it. Well, if Scott can do it, I sure as hell can do it because he's not the sharpest tool in the box, and I'm not. I'm sufficiently sharp, but I'm not, you know, Ivy League educated by any stretch. So I think my motivation now is, I tell you, that the, the, the chief people officer of Franklin Covey, Todd Davis, a mutual friend of both of ours, probably the highest EQ person I know in my life. He told me a few weeks ago, um, I'm the most fearless person he knows. <laughs> 
that's not true because I hate sharks, snakes, and alligators, and I won't bungee jump, and I won't parachute, and I won't scuba dive, and I won't skydive, and I got lots of fears. But putting myself out there for criticism is not one of them. Um, and if someone will take me down, like they do daily, and, I'll, and every 10th one I'll say to my assistant or my partner or my agent, I'll say, so this person wrote that. Do you think I should pay attention to that? And they'll say, you know what, actually, Scott, don't. Or the next one, they'll say, you know what, actually, did you read this review? No, I didn't. Let me read it. I'm like, oh, that's kind of harsh. That was kind of mean. I'll say, yeah, but you know what? Here's why they're saying that, because this is going on, and you posted that, and they made this connection. I'm like, oh, you know, that's reasonable. I can see that. I don't like that, but I can see that. Do you think I'd have changed the post? Yeah. Next post, do this. That feels authentic, or that doesn't feel authentic. Then don't do that. So, I mean, you know, self-awareness helps me balance my voice. But I'll tell you, back to Seth Godin. The best marketing book ever written is not Marketing Master Brand Success. It is This Is Marketing by Seth Godin. And in his book, he wrote a chapter about your smallest viable market. And with his permission, I write a whole chapter about it. And everybody should find your smallest viable market. Don't boil the ocean. You've got to find the people who like Scott Miller and avoid the people who don't. Because not everyone's going to like me. Not everyone does like me. A lot of people do not like me. And they tell me daily through social media and through email, haters going to hate. Go find your smallest viable market. Go find the smallest number of people to buy your product, read your book, follow your blog, buy your service. The smallest number that you need. By the way, that might be 5 million. It might be 1 million. It might be 40 people if you're selling houses. Go find the smallest number of people who find value in what you do and you'll crush it with them. Reminds me of the thousand true fans that the idea of if you have those thousand true people and that that idea is changing now in the in the new environment of social media where you can reach more, you can tailor it to less. One of the things you were talking about there is motivation and you said, you know, money and now it's kind of a little bit more of that purpose, but proving, proving you can do it, proving others can do it. And it just it's something you and I have talked about again, getting back to the book, you know, I'll ask your advice and then I'll just be very transparent. Scott, I'm not writing it anytime soon. So I'm not going to bother you. I'm not going to take up more time. But the, th the reason is what it's taken me a long time to realize is the motivation has to be right. And I encourage people to trust their current motivation, right? If they're in a point where they want to build up their savings, build up their network, uh, practice something, whatever, just take that time. And we don't have to compare ourselves like you were saying to everybody else who is doing it already. And that was a hard lesson learned for me. You know, I think you and I have something in common. Well, that's why we're friends. We have a lot in common. And that is, we're not afraid to disrupt ourselves. I once heard a quote that I thought was profound, disgusting, but profound. And that is, you're never in the room when your career is decided for you. And I thought, oh my gosh, that's so gross and so true. 99% of people, their career is accidental. It's not deliberate. Somebody else is deciding it for them, above them, in some conference room. And I made a decision when I first heard that quote decades ago that, oh, damn it, no one is deciding my brand for me. No one is deciding my career for me. No one is controlling my finances for me but me. And if that means that I've always, if I've got to disrupt myself before I'm disrupted by somebody else, I'm going to. You know that phrase, act or be acted upon. I don't want anybody acting on me. I, I want to be in control of my life. And that may sound, you know, arrogant now coming from perhaps a stature or a platform that I've built for myself. But you know what? Um, 
I know I have pretty good. I have a pretty good sniffer, like a metaphorical sniffer. And I know when the boot is coming for me. I usually know it about a year or two early. Most people have no idea because their head is down and politically they're naive and they don't actually, you know, kind of keep their ear to the ground. By the way, keeping your ear to the ground is not gossiping. It's called being awake and knowing, you know, what's going on in the organization, the industry or competition. And so I always like to disrupt myself a good year or two before my boss even gets a whiff that maybe they should make a change with me. Hmm. So I have, I have created uncomfortable disruption in my life and you have as well. No, it's a good point. One that I, it, it took me a while to figure that out as well. It's reminding me of your challenge six and you have the cards that come with it. Decide your own tenure. And you mention exactly what you're talking about here, but disrupting oneself can feel disruptive, right? Like what you're doing right now. And that's why I want to start this interview talking about that. Those transitions, do you feel like they're a necessary part or do you think it, that it's only necessary if you are striving for more or if you fit a certain personality profile or if you want more money? It depends on what you want to your point, right? I mean, if you're comfortable making $13 an hour in the same job for 40 years, then there's no need to disrupt yourself. Now, you might need to because you might need to have some technology to turn the fryer on or turn the fryer off or work the microwave differently or check a book out differently. But I think the relevant professional, the person who is going to make themselves indispensable is constantly disrupting their skills, their mindset, they're challenging their belief systems. They're realizing that, well, that's not, that's not valuable anymore. And that's not the way it used to be. And this is a new way. I mean, look at the pandemic. I mean, the people that are going to thrive post pandemic are the people who are the most emotionally agile, who are the most intellectually nimble that realize that expectations are going to be violated by the hour and your ability to be Gumby. Google Gumby, right? The green character from the 70s. But not, not, not your principles, not your values per se, right? But look at me. I'm 53. I should be heading down for a safe landing. Yeah, you're not. I, I'm not. I'm not. You actually I, took I, your safe landing and exploded it I, somewhere. I blew up. <laughs> I blew up the runway, like five miles of it. I left all my stock on the table. But why? But seriously, why? Okay, because let's say you saw, and I don't know the truth, but um, let's say you were like, you know what, for one, one reason or another, Franklin Covey's not my company. You could have gone to a, a hundred companies and, and, yeah, and yeah. still had the C title. Why go at it alone? Well, again, everyone has different values, professional values and personal values. And I'm very clear on both my personal values and my professional values. I have a list of both of them committed to memory and an acronym. So I know when they're, in, when they're incongruent with each other. Franklin Covey is a great company. I'm still a contractor to them. I, I'm their biggest evangelizer. I love those people in that place. But the fact of the matter is the company was changing in a way for the better that wasn't my trajectory, right? They were becoming a SaaS company. I wasn't a SaaS CMO. But I went to the CEO and said, you need to hire a SaaS CMO to take my job. No, 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 no. We love you. You're great. No, no, no. You need to hire a SaaS CMO to take my job. No, no, no. We love you. We love you. So I think in many ways, the biggest gift I gave them was disrupting myself. I saw I had their best interest in heart. And I also wanted to explore some new things. I'm 53. I wanted to try my hat at, can I make it on my own? If I can't, if, if I don't make it on my own, no shame. 
no shame because I tried. And I care more about what I think of me than you think of me. So, um, and, I, and I, don't see, I don't see failure as failure. I see failure as, oh my gosh, I learned so much on the journey. I learned my strengths, my weaknesses. I learned where my passions were. I learned where I spent too much of my time and not a, enough of my time. I'm an entrepreneur. My life wasn't, goal wasn't to be an entrepreneur. But I like to disrupt my comfort level. I like to move every couple of years. I like to try new cities. I mean, had I stayed in Florida, I probably could have been a senator or been a governor or been a realtor and made a boatload of money and had my circle of 100 friends. But I've lived in like 15 homes in 20 years. And I've lived in 10 cities and countries. And for me, that's been exhilarating. I'm the kind of guy that moves to London and doesn't know a person. I'm the kind of guy that moves to Provo, Utah and has never met a person, let alone met a Mormon, right? I moved to Chicago. I'd never even been to Chicago other than for a speech. Yeah. At the same time, though, I won't eat sushi. I don't eat octopus. I won't jump out of a jet. I will not go into the ocean past my knees. There's some things that I won't do. Rich guy who doesn't eat sushi, that's not allowed. Okay? It's delicious. Uh, but no, I don't eat sushi. My, my point is I'm not always fearless. In fact, you know, for my 10th Seth Godin reference, the biggest idea I ever learned from Seth was – don't confuse being reckless with being fearless. So for those of you listening that are interested in disrupting yourself, that doesn't mean you quit your job tomorrow because you heard some fast-talking guy on Chris's podcast, right? I carefully planned for this. I saved. I downsized. I sold my home. I pulled back. I sold a car. I pulled back my budget. I got a couple of contracting gigs, Right? I didn't just quit my job and go launch a website and hope that everybody rushed to me. I planned it over two years, openly and transparently. I want to highlight that, actually, because there's people listening who don't know who Scott Miller is, right? Whoa, 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 what? <laughs> exactly, right? <laughs> but here's the key. I think there's many more who will. And either it's happened now or it'll happen in six months or a year or three or whatever. There will be that moment or is that moment where people are like, where did this guy come from? What they're not necessarily going to see is what you just said. I laid track for 25, 30 years. Exactly. And I, I, right. I just don't think it gets highlighted enough. I mean, you're doing a hell of a job on social media, but you see the things, having lived it, you see what's on social media and what's reality. You know what I mean? Yeah, you, you don't see the... 500 postcards that I stamped this morning. You don't see the 45 boxes over there that have books and cards that are being mailed out to celebrities to promote me. You don't see the four blogs I wrote last night. It's the same thing. Every person who's gained influence, you see them kind of burst on the scene, but you don't see the 25 years of track they laid that broke and the train went off the tracks and the train ran out of gas and they had to build a new train and a new track and take it a different direction. That's right. Well, Scott, um, there's so many different things on this topic I could go into, but I do want to transition because, you know, you've got the new book, Marketing Mess to Brand Success. And from the outset, it could seem like, eh, I'm not in marketing, right? Like I, me, I'm in, you know, leadership development right now. Now I need to market this podcast, but that's a different story. So let's say the average person working at a company, I'm not in marketing. Why do I care about this? Why do I need to know about marketing or branding or any of this? Well, this isn't a new idea, but everybody has a brand. Everyone has a brand, and your brand is merely your reputation. And your reputation is just the collection of all the decisions you've made in your life. So you can, like your career, leave it to chance, 
leave it to accident, or you can deliberately build your brand by marketing yourself, by defining what is your unique value? What are you want to be known for? It might be that you are the most punctual. You're the most well-spoken. You're the most well-read. You're the most gracious. That you're the most collaborative. You're up for anything. You're open-minded. You're emotionally nimble. Right? Whatever your brand is, you want that to be carefully curated through deliberate behaviors and your own choices, not through you know a bona china shop. And I've been on both sides, right? I mean, my brand has been. You know, watch out, Miller's coming down the hall. To my brand is, gather around, Miller's coming down the hall. I've been on both sides, and both of those I deserved. So the book is called Marketing Mess to Brand Success. But it isn't just about the four Ps of marketing or channel marketing or digital marketing. It's, this is not an academic book at all. This is a book about augmenting your business acumen. Bruise hard and heal fast. Be willing to change your mind. Stay close to the cash. Understands all about the customer, harnessing creative minds with good systems, right? This is a book as much for the sales professional as it is for the marketing professional because I wrote the book because I was tired of sales and marketing always being in competition, the blame game of pointing the fingers. And my legacy at Franklin Covey, at least with the CEO, is that marketing and sales got along under Scott and under the sales leader. We didn't always agree, but there was no public blaming. I was always in their boat rowing with them. And I'm on, a, I'm on a bit of a mission to help make marketers more relevant. And now a quick word from one of this week's sponsors. This week's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. Growing your business takes more than offering a popular product or service. It's essential to have the right people in place to ensure your company operates smoothly and has the potential to expand. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the best candidates for free. Personally, I've made some of my best professional connections on LinkedIn. And with access to the best talent with the skills you need, LinkedIn Jobs can surely help find somebody for your growing business. Get started by posting your job for free to reach LinkedIn's network of 740 million professionals. Fill out targeted screening questions to get your role in front of the most qualified candidates with the experience, skills, and motivation you need. Then use simple tools to filter and prioritize the top candidates you'd like to interview. LinkedIn Jobs will help you hire the right person for your role. And your first job post is free. Just visit linkedin.com slash smart. Again, that's linkedin.com slash smart to post your first job for free. Terms and conditions apply. And now back to the episode. You mentioned how everybody has a brand I'm, and, and we talk about, you know, marketing mess and management mess. Tell us in the building of the brand of Scott Miller, what is your favorite mess? Well, I've got plenty of them. You want a specific example of one of my messes? I do. I because you, yeah. listen, here's why you, you go through so many good stories. I want people to get a sense of this is how your books are written. The two that I've seen thus far, right? Yeah, it's yeah. here's my mess in story format that actually makes sense and sticks with you. I mean, there, there's just so many. I, in fact, the books are really an open kimono to all the mistakes that I've made. Not a gratuitous confession as a Catholic, which would be easy for me, but just a, here's what I did. Here's the pothole I fell in. Walk by me, see me flailing in it and walk around it, right? And they're very applicable. Here's one. Um, as the CMO, I was provided a, f a fairly large budget and a lot of latitude, quite influential. And the CEO and board had an immense amount of trust in me, I think well-deserved, sometimes violated, but 
usually well-deserved. And one year I decided to launch a program. And so I literally do all the research. I launch a 50 city tour on a big event and I get a letter, a cease and desist letter from someone's attorney saying, oh, yeah, I copyrighted that. That's trademarked. You owe me X number of dollars. So my mess was uh, Google. <laughs> so, so, I mean, I got this professor who hires an attorney to sue this deep potted company, right? Thinking he's going to retire. So I walk into the CEO and I say, I got a problem. I got, I got a mess to confess. And I lay it all out. And the CEO says to me, sit down. Let me tell you about my biggest mess. Let me tell you about the 15 billboards that I printed and then got a cease and desist order because we didn't have the rights to share that image, how to take them down. Different company, different $100,000 spend. But, you know, so the mess was I didn't even Google to see if this whole phrase had, was even, you know, legal to use. Now, how I solved it was I, I called the professor. I didn't call the attorney. I called the professor and I said, I owe you an apology. I made a mistake. I, 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 have, I have used your copyrighted name without your permission. It was not intentional. It was unintentional. I own it. I made a mistake. I apologize, and I'm hoping to make it right with you. Transparently, vulnerably, I own it. Um, I don't think the cover company is going to fire me, <laughs> but I'm hoping if you and I could come to a win-win on this. We talked. You know, I ended up paying him some money. It was, you know, a tenth of what he was asking for. We ended up highlighting him in the program. We actually gave him like an interview. We highlighted him. And so I rectified that mess. It could have been an expensive mistake. But the fact of the matter is I didn't slow down enough. I got so excited with my idea and my genius and my brilliance and my budget and my momentum. I didn't dot my I's and cross my T's on some of the more boring stuff like opening up Google and seeing, is this phrase trademark? I think I share that in one of the books, but it's stories like that that you might think, well, that's a dumb thing. Yeah, but I'm not the only person that <laughs> used somebody's trademark and was threatened to be sued for, so. No, I appreciate that. And again, that's kind of the message that you share, but then the lessons that come from it. So let's kind of bring it full circle. I'm listening. I am trying to build my personal brand. What are some things that Scott Miller, the former former chief marketing officer, you know, give us some tactics on where do we start, uh, what can we do to brand and or market ourselves better to achieve our professional goals? Well, first, you've got to determine what is your career look like. How are you going to deliberately take control of your career? This is not meant to be a pitch, but I actually have an online career coaching series called Ignite Your Genius has these 13 modules. And the biggest module in it is around developing a multi-decade strategy for your career. I think most people get onto Indeed.com and search for six-figure sales jobs 40 miles from me. That's idiotic. Don't do that ever again. That is the very definition of an accidental career. Six-figure sales jobs 40 miles from me. Stop doing that. Look out 20 years, 30 years. What is it I want to accomplish? What's the pinnacle of my career? Is it CEO, CFO, is it entrepreneur, author, is it chief copy editor, senior engineer, CPA? And then build it back. Don't forecast, backcast. What is the job before CEO? What is the job before that? What's the job before that? What's the job before that? What are all the competencies you need to actually master to earn all those jobs? Once you've got a multi-decade, multi-career plan for yourself, then you can determine 
well, what kind of brand do I want to build for myself? Because I don't know that being a charismatic CFO is going to win the deal for you. I don't know that. I don't know that being a ticked and tied chief designer is going to win that career for you. So I would be looking at what kind of career are you trying to develop for yourself and what kind of brand do you need to build to accomplish that? Now, there are some commonalities across all brands. Implicit trustworthiness. Do you make and keep commitments? Do you do what you say you're going to do? Are you on time? Do you tell the truth? Do you offer apologies? Do you accept feedback? Do you know what it's like to be on a project with you? Do you know what it's like to launch a product with you? Are you self-aware? These are consistent brand you know, monikers that everybody wants. Do you have to be the smartest person in the room? Those are common to all great professionals, right? The answer is no, by the way. You shouldn't be the smartest person in the room. But I think there is your overall brand of being a competent, high-character colleague. And then there's what makes you unique. Because all those things are just your ticket to the game. They right. don't win the game for you. Right. Then you decide, you know, what do you want? You want your brand to be the guy that reads two books a week and offers a blog abundantly on what you learned. Do you want your brand to be the gal that is insatiably curious, who asks really smart, open-ended questions and reserves their answer to the very end? What kind of brand would help you in your industry, in your company? Because, you know, different brands are valued differently in different companies, right? Your, your company might not value you speaking last. It might be an eat or be eaten culture. If so, leave. And they might want you to, you know, opine early on. Some really great nuggets in there. When you mentioned look out 20 years, that can get scary, right? Especially in today's world. I actually was reading in your book how it said, you know, the average tenure today, somewhere around three years. Uh, and you were talking about it. And, and and I think that is changing, right? And, I, and I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not saying the reason people are staying places for only a couple of years is a bad thing. But it makes the longer look into the future, it makes it scarier. But instead of who do you want to become? What do you want to accomplish? What do you want to add? Right. And even when you mentioned that I was going through in my head, I'm going, all right, 30, what am I? 37. I don't know. Once you get past 30, stop counting 37, 20 years, 57. And I'm going, yeah, what, what impact do I want to have? And I believe in the strength of questions. That's why I do this podcast. You ask yourself one question the right way, you might forever change the answers and the impact you have. And so when I think about that and then your idea of backcasting, doesn't, you don't have to know it's going to work, but at least it's on purpose. You're, work, you're working your plan, right? You're working your plan versus working somebody else's plan for you. I mean, these adages have haunted me, right? Act or be acted upon. Have a plan or become part of someone else's. I never wanted to be part of someone else's plan for them. I wanted to be part of my plan for me. So I had to summon a little bit of, like I mentioned early on, a little bit of over, an overabundance of confidence and say, I've got a plan. My plan's going to change. My plan's going to have some serendipity in it. But here is the brand I'm going to create for myself. I'm going to wreck it sometimes. I'm going to not always be perfect. I'm going to forgive myself pretty quickly and move forward. Life is short. Pick your battles carefully. I think too many people try to win the battle at the expense of the war. The war is your reputation. The war is your brand. Your war is your influence. 
pick your battles very carefully. I've seen so many people go down on the stupidest stuff. Last time I checked, you can only die in your sword one time. <laughs> so choose that sword really carefully, right? So many people fritter away their influence and their brands by just getting obsessed and going down on stupid stuff. Pick your battles really carefully because you're building a reputation, a brand over time. It's, 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 it's hard to build it and it's easy to wreck it. Absolutely. Well, and then bring this back to the beginning, what you're talking about, because I think this is a really important lesson to kind of cap this off, which is look in the future, ask who you want to become, build it intentionally and realize this, you might get it wrong or you might be in a situation that you couldn't have predicted and you can also disrupt yourself because that's what happened to me. I had a plan since I was 16. And at 22, I'm working in finance going, this plan that I had for the last six, yeah. seven years that I went to college for was incredibly wrong. That's not my fault. I, I you know, we're going to, you learn these things about yourself as you go, but that loops in the other thing you were talking about is be willing to disrupt yourself. A, a, a agility is probably the most important competency we all need to develop in ourselves post pandemic, being willing to change your mind being willing to be open, be willing to be influenced by other people, including people that you might not have expected. Someone asked me last night on a podcast, how I come up with the idea for the Mess of Success brand. I said, I didn't. It was my 24-year-old junior assistant that said to me, you know what? You want to write more than one Mess of Success book. You got to write a whole series of it. It was his idea. It wasn't my idea. You know, I'm 52. He was 24. It was all Drew Young's idea. Not a now, boy, Drew. I, I've gone and done it, but it was totally his idea. I tell about, I talk about this on all the podcasts that I'm on. Agility, flexibility, nimbleness. How do you pivot on a dime? How do you disrupt yourself? What you thought was going to be one thing now is completely different and it's rocking your world. Or it's not rocking your world and it's energizing to say, well, that's a curveball. Never thought that. Going this way now. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, you can, you can change your mind into oblivion, right? I mean, you know, stand for something or fall for anything. That, that adage is certainly reasonable. But at 52, most white 52-year-old men aren't known as the hallmark of agility, right? I mean, our world has been disrupted massively, not just by the pandemic, by the, by the well-deserved social justice conversations happening the last year or two and ongoing, and so if, if, if Caucasian men in their 50s are going to stay relevant, they've got to disrupt their thoughts and challenge their entrenched paradigms, not just daily, hourly. Absolutely. And talk to those 24-year-olds. They'll give you the good ideas. Yeah. Thank you, Drew. <laughs> well, Scott, listen, I really appreciate it. I mean, we've covered so much ground. And it was funny. I was thinking you know, let's, let's promote Scott's stuff. And so then I realized there's so much stuff. I don't know what to promote. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to say, all right, look, I've got right here, marketing mess to brand success, newest book, but it's, it's, it literally will be coming out almost when this podcast airs. So like the day of, aside from that, what else do you want our listeners to go do? What do you want them to find? Where's Scott Jeffrey Miller these days? Well, that's two different questions because I can talk about me or I can talk about what I want you to do. 
keep keep reading, right? Just read everything you can get your hands on. Keep listening to Smart People Podcast. I'm one of your biggest evangelists. I tell everybody, model their podcast after Chris Demp's podcast. You Appreciate can find it. me, scottjeffreymiller.com. I'll have plenty of stuff coming out. I want to tell you, um, someday Chris Stemp and I are going to partner on something because we have similar values. We like and trust and respect each other. You are one of the few people that I could be in business with, and I'm going to be your biggest promoter when your book is ready to publish. I'm going to keep kicking your you-know-what to get that book out because you've got a lot to say. So what I want people to do is to continue listening to Smart People Podcast and save their $24 when Chris Stemp's, Chris Stemp's book comes out. I appreciate that, Scott. And I, I do appreciate all your help. And congratulations on the success. I mean, I know you took that leap of faith, but well-deserved, well-worth it. I think all the people out there uh, who are writing to you, I see it, right? Um, saying the good things about your books and how they've changed them and how they've impacted them is, is testament enough to uh, you can go do it and you can you can kind of build what you want. So really appreciate it, Scott. Chris, thanks for your friendship. You too. That was our interview with Scott Miller. Hope you enjoyed it. At the time of this recording, Scott's new book is now out. That book is Marketing Mess to Brand Success, 30 Challenges to Transform Your Organization's Brand and Your Own. All right, let's jump into the quick housekeeping items. Most of you already know the deal, but if you ever want to reach out to Smart People Podcast, you can email us at smartpeoplepodcast at gmail.com or message us on Twitter at smart people pod and if you'd like to support the show and we thank each and every single one of you who do you can head over to patreon at patreon.com smart people podcast and if you just want to stay up to date with all things smart people podcast head over to the website and sign up for the newsletter all right that's it for us this week we've got a lot of great interviews coming up so make sure you stay tuned and we'll see you all next episode